Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This is a very special side season that we are starting right now because when we were prepping for the 1985 season, we realized that there were so many beloved horror movies that came out in this year. It was a banner year for horror. And on our regular show is Greg, who will not watch them and thinks that they're all trash. So they all got booted out of the bracket, and I had no choice but to call my good friend Tompkins and say, Tompkins, let's do a horror show. Tompkins, are you ready for this? I am. I'm so excited. Um, I am, of course, in that sweet spot of having really no opinion whatsoever on horror. (laughs) That's why I went to you. Yeah. (laughs) That's why you were my first choice. Well, to... To help us out, because I'm sort of right there with you, um, <laughs> you and I went out and we got Kate to go against you today. Kate, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, Ryan? Uh, I am so good. Thank you for asking. And mm-hmm. how are you? Oh, yeah. Still the same. Um, I am very excited uh, to kind of intellectually stamp all over Tompkins um, and to really kind of assert myself in a way that will deep down genuinely bruise him. Yeah. Most, um, of the times, most of the times <laughs> that we have a guest on the show, they come in being like, what, competition? Wait, what the fuck? Yeah. That, this is stupid. Kate came in with an entrance song, a la WWE. <laughs> uh, she came in like with her robe. She had her trainers take the robe off. She is fucking ready to she go. She sent us a clip to play that's just her like punching the air and shit talking me. <laughs> In the, yeah, in the middle of the show, we're going to cut away from the conversation to just go through a montage of Kate's training. Just her, uh, like, going through the snow, carrying a bunch of Blu-rays. Yeah. <laughs> and I it's really, it, they're really poorly edited. You can see me press the record button and then run to get into place. <laughs> but the montage did have a theme. And so if you can talk about theme, then I think you're good. Um, guys, this is a competition show. Uh, both of you will be competing for... Being my best friend, which doesn't seem like something that you care about so much, uh, as much as beating the other one's ass, I think mm-hmm. I feel like that that's very important for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, we do have a rule that if you do win, and let's be honest, you probably will, um, <laughs> that we just you and I don't text Tompkins for like two weeks. Uh, just give him a <laughs> chance to like calm down because it, it shit gets bad. You know what I find out? What I find is that that actually has always. It's an incredibly good disciplinary technique. My mom uses that on me to this day, and mm-hmm. I can I can speak to the to the devastation that it it accrues. I fucking wish my mom did that with me. That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what a bad boy, Ryan! Yeah. <laughs> I'm the bad boy of podcasting. At least that's what I make her call me, guys. Before we get into the movie, uh, overall, what do you think? Day of the Dead. Oh, did we talk about that? George A. Romero's Day of the Dead from 1985 <laughs> is what we're covering tonight, guys. What did you think? Uh, we, we, we kept that in our back pocket. Um, <laughs> Boom. Lead them to See? it. Lead them to it. Uh, I Trust enjoyed this a surprising amount. I, I thought this is the third, and I, I, I generally am, am like, like I said, pretty you know lukewarm on zombie movies in general. Uh, but I, I thought that this was doing interesting stuff with the idea of zombies. Um, I thought it I thought it hung together pretty well, and that the parts that aren't good are not good in like a charming '80s slash John Carpenter kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kate, what do you think? Um, I uh, I largely agree with 
with Tompkins. Um, I think that in for for a lot of different reasons, um, it's a it's a Is more Mike engaging. <laughs> uh, Kate, your point button says Mike, and I'm sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> I'll accept it, but I think that this is a fundamentally a more um, enjoyable watch than Night of the Living Dead or something like that. You know, there's there is a, the kineticism of of 80 schmaltz that naturally kind of lends a, the flair. It's it's fun to watch um, overacting combined with like a very um, newly self righteous. Uh, sensibility, I think, in, in 80s horror movies that were... Yeah. yeah, it's a weird sort of trilogy, because not only do the titles talk about like how days work, you know, like how you go mm-hmm. through days, but um, <laughs> Night, of, Night of Living Dead is like a film, you know, it's a capital mm-hmm. F film. And exactly. then Dawn, Dawn of the Dead sort of bridged the gap of like, it's, you know, it's that, that's a movie, it's a classic movie, but it's also more tongue-in-cheek, more cheesy, and then now we have this, where, like, the arc is complete. Now he's just making fucking 80s horror movies. Yeah. And I, I think that that is one of, well, I think one of the coolest things about, about the trilogy um, and about the series, and I think that it probably speaks to why we still think and care about these movies, the fact that Romero came in strong with, you know, a, a film classic and, and, and genre-bending and groundbreaking you know, media, um, uh, and then slowly dips it back into the corn and schmaltz of of the thing he was doing to begin with. I think that, um, like like all good horror movie directors, eventually they just become fanboys who love horror movies, and I think right. that that's what you kind of yeah. see in. in I think this movie does the two things that I most want from a zombie movie, which are day and dead. Yes, <laughs> taking place during the day and including the dead. Um, and a lot of other movies get one tops. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it, 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 I, now I fucking lost. <laughs> no, it, I'm sorry. It, was my, it was challenges, my it challenges like what a zombie is exactly. Instead of them just being purely, you know, like your sort of standard, like mindless mass. Um, and the zombies are not the like plot points like the 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 movie is driven by human drama and then the zombies come in to augment that rather than it just being like now things are really crazy because there's more zombies right which that which sort of gave you know lead to what we have today which is the walking dead where they're like the zombies are not the point and nothing else is Right? Yeah. Are we just supposed to have no point? Are we doing good? Did yeah. we do it? Are we good? So many episodes of that show end by them being like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. And, and then it's just like someone randomly was like, anyways, I think I'll step outside. And then there's like five zombies surrounding and they get trapped in like a car or an outhouse or something. And they're like, tune in next week to see how they escape this one. No. <laughs> yeah, I was very, <clears throat> I, was, I, I, I was looking because the one of the prompts that I was, I was given by, by you two was, to um, think about the classic bullies in, in cinema history. And so I kind of gone, went into this film thinking um, kind of stereotypically that the, the zombies were going to be the bullies, but it turns out the bullies are within the whole time. Yeah. Um, a and human I, can I, be something of a bully as well, can't it? A human can be something of a bully. And I think that, um, I think you're right, Tompkins, asking us to, to think about... Um, what a zombie is this movie um, does in a, in a very interesting way. So much of it being about um, the notion of civility 
and domestication of impulses being what we consider human. Um, uh, and then seeing, seeing the human characters um, um, regress in their own way against that uh, is, is a very fun inversion of, and a very different play on, on, the, on the themes surrounding zombies than, than the original to me. All right, Kate, you are getting too smart. This is the intro, so we are going mm-hmm. to take a break, mm-hmm. and then we are going to let Kate say all of that, but for points. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny, or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Almost 20 years after he had essentially created the zombie genre as we know it today, and seven years after making its follow-up, George A. Romero set out to complete his zombie trilogy with Day of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead had grown out of their cult statuses to be considered genuine classics by then and people were ravenous for his final zombie movie. Until they saw it. The movie became widely known as a disappointment, mainly for the amount of dialogue in the movie, and for how it is delivered. As time went on, though, fans have rewatched and rethought about Day of the Dead as an underlooked classic, not just for its advancements in gore, but also in storytelling. Taste Buds, I ask you this. George A. Romero is known for not just creating zombie movies, but purposefully or not, making those zombies a metaphor for the state of humans at the time. What do these zombies represent? And if there's not a perfect one-to-one metaphor, what do we think Romero is trying to say? So I think beyond, like we talked, you know, like the standard sort of um, faceless, personalityless mass of humanity, which this does dabble in, um, I think a lot of what this movie is doing with zombies and zombie iconography is like exploring how people in power see people outside. Um, and especially mm-hmm. the idea that it is Pumpkins. a very dangerous and frightening thing to see those people as even potentially having humanity. But yeah, I think that's exactly right. But does that sort of mean that we're not we're not thinking of like what the zombies mean? Are they just sort of like a stand-in for stuff that like so now we can watch the humans do it? You know, in, Night of the Living Dead didn't have an exact or it wasn't a perfect one. It was sort of like. Uh, tension with people that are different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you guys you guys have seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how it ends? Yeah, sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, the main character who was black, who was crazy at the time. That it's crazy that that happened at the time. Um, comes out when the cops get there and says, "Hey, just so you know, there's zombies here. Thank you for coming to help me. I'm the last one left." And the cops blow him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dawn of the Dead, uh, I think, really tried to go more satirical, and it was about how we're all zombies of consumerism. Mm-hmm. And then this one, I think, is a lot more complicated than that. You know, I think that it, in, it might be in a bad way. Like, it's confused, and he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Or I think it's a little more nuanced, and there's more going on here. I think, I think it's, um, it's, it's hard to say when you're talking about, like, a genre schlock, quote-unquote, director, when you're trying to talk about maturity, or like him, him maturing as an artist, because um, in this in this specific circumstance, that maturity looks a lot like regression because of how like kind of stupid and silly a lot of of the content of this movie is. Um, 
but moving from kind of a one-to-one metaphor to a muddier metaphor to me is a a more complicated look at the situation at the metaphors you're using and and um i think it 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 means that you trust your audience to go with you a little bit more um and so having the the obvious consumerism or the um, otherness of a black protagonist not having that what we're what we're left with is zombie what is zombie and after using them as simply puppets and props and metaphors for the past couple movies what if we investigate not what if we investigate the metaphor and look for it as not just a vessel for um something else but rather like an actual exploration of this specific type of humanity that is different than yours I also so like yeah let's get into it what do we think it is Tom yeah I think that the setting is really important for for this it it takes place in a missile silo and this is 1985 so there's obviously like some cold war overtones going on in Florida nonetheless and the the most cold war place (laughs) um and you have so that the the opening of the movie not the opening scene but like the first few scenes are them going out looking for people coming back and there's zombies pressing in all over from the inside things are very dire and then they get inside and uh there are what feel like barely contained zombies inside as well and so then you have both that and then a big part of the plot is the scientist interrogating um you know, functionally how the zombification process works and trying to see if he can pacify the zombies, save them and stuff like that. And, and so you have, uh, yeah, I, I think that that setting mirrors what is going on of, of like, you know, it could have been done very badly of like, well, it's almost like there's a little zombie inside all of us. Uh, <laughs> and did you think it was weird that every single character said that at least once? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's get into the science thing, though. The, the, we have a scientist and uh, who is, no matter what he's working on, like if it's just paperwork, he's still fucking covered in blood all the time, <laughs> which I love. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> and, so we, and then we have the military. It's like uh, a group of people who are trying to see what they can do, and then uh, there was a, like, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, the, defin- <laughs> the dictionary definition of the military Group of people trying to see what they can do. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it means to me. <laughs> with guns, though. Yes. That's, and I think, that, like, when I think of the military, I think they do everything with it. Like, change the channel, open uh, <laughs> beer bottles. Yeah. It's all with their gun. Um, you know, what does Romero think of science? What does he think of the military? Is that on display here? I think that they are both, both groups are incapable of seeing humanity uh, through anything other than like their profession or that one lens. So the military are only able to think in terms of like control and domination and the scientists are able to explore and interrogate, but there's clearly something missing for them as well. I, I contest. I think that it is about control for both of them and for all of them. I, I think that that is one of the, one of the things fundamental to, to what was going on is is this notion of of the Dr. Frankenstein character. I mean, clearly, like, getting his rocks off on the idea that he could domesticate these people, that he he could incentivize civility and control their behavior and change their... And and to me, like, uh, especially most likely as as an artist, as Romero was, it'd be quite easy to see the similarities between, you know, a scientific probing and the, you know, the penetrative forces of of a military 
mm. you know, situation um, being really similar in that they're both uh, quite cold. They're both um, uh, ways of looking at the world uh, that, that removes a certain form of humanity by nature. Hold on, I don't, hold on. I don't know that I fully... You're saying that the scientists are cold and the military are cold? Are we just watching a cold war here, Kate? Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> oh, boy. Point to I don't Ryan. know if I, I fully agree with that about the Doctor who they, in a subtle allusion to a, a certain novel, continuously referred to as Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> um... And when you look at the way that he treats specifically Bub, I don't know that it necessarily is this, like, purely, you know, like, he has a sort of, like, I don't know, you could say, like, almost colonial attitude towards them, but it's not, um, it's not an entirely dispassionate one, and in fact, he's also willing to throw humans under the bus in order to, you know, like, he's, he's really risking a lot to prove his point and there is something interesting going on there where this scientist is like maybe the most fucked up of all the characters Mm -hmm. but he is the only one who's able to see that there's truly a lot more going on with these zombies than than meets the eye but dude you got to admit that like i mean you said the c word and i think it's important because he said that there's like four hundred thousand to one that's the zombie to Mm -hmm. human ratio right now yeah and so we're talking about a handful of humans who are going to and like the goal, and it, it would be impossible. It's like the, it's not the goal to like have everyone work together and have a congress where it's half zombie, half human. It's to <laughs> subjugate them, right? Yeah. And I know that that's the most you can do because zombies are zombies. But still, like his plan is let's get them to be horses on farm. Yeah, there's yeah. no way of to me. Like I don't think that I think that he there. I don't think that there was any sense of dispassion, but I don't think that that disproves or discounts what I was saying. I think that by the very nature of it being kind of paternally uh, colonial, his this this attention that he's giving his zombies, um, these that it it might be it might be have more human passion in it that his interest in the zombies than perhaps the you know Rhodes character has for them, but it still isn't a human form of empathy. It isn't about relating to this as a as a person. Um, it is a similarly cold way of viewing the world and information and trying to interact with it. Not that it is, um, uh, you know, I think speaking on a macro science and military versus like, you know, Frankenstein versus Rhodes. Yeah. Real quick, I, sorry, before we get out of here, we do have to hit the army. The army, the military characters are, um, are, are sort of what makes to me this movie unwatchable. Um, <laughs> I, I think everything besides them is super interesting or super fun. And then there's these military guys who, um, they just scream <laughs> at all times, no matter what. And like, are, is he saying that uh, if you're that type of power, if you're the type of power who is just, you know, lead with a gun and then also really importantly, don't have hope or optimism, you know, it's just like trying to control the moment now as opposed to make a better future. Uh, are you just a piece of shit? Is there any argument that we can give for the military side? Not, not really. I mean, I, mean, I, I do you get a slight i mean one thing that i think this movie does a really uh, a really good job of is 
hinting at everything that's happened before and led up to this moment without needing to labor on it. And For sure. the idea of this um, this guy having just taken control of you know this rapidly dwindling force who are like clearly all losing their mind have no interest in being like professional soldiers anymore and he is thinking in terms of like pure survival and in order to survive someone has to be in charge and to make the decisions but he's not yeah he's not able to think of what it means to survive or what would make survival worth it and so he just rapidly makes everything worse yeah he treats the world with a sort of like militarized black and white perspective but he also there is also just the truth that the doctor was feeding those zombies his soldiers the dead parts of his soldiers so to me there is there is a justification to his anger and a um I don't think that it, I don't think that the military is as um, or that character specifically. Um, I I don't think that he lacks um, a certain like internal compass or a certain responsibility. Um, to because that, that's it, it's very insane to me that the that the Frankenstein monster or Frankenstein doctor, excuse me, is feeding his monsters human flesh. That's, that's Frankenstein like is that. actually the name of the doctor. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, or not feeding him human flesh, but feeding flesh from the ranks of this of the community in which he's a part of. Um, I, that big reveal did not hit me that hard. I didn't, like, yeah. He was, he was not feeding them live people. It was, yeah. they were dead. And maybe, like, I've, I don't have any, I don't give a shit about, uh, burying people or desecrating graves or corpses or whatever, but yeah, that's that's where they should go. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, I also think that we're missing because it's not just the uh, science versus the military. There's also the sort of third contingent of the radio operator and the helicopter pilot who mm-hmm. have a similar thing going on where there's it feels like. They all have a piece of the puzzle, and none of them are able to, like, put it fully together. Because those two, and to a certain extent, uh, the main character, are sort of like, you know, Lotus Eater-type characters. Um, But then, of course, they're the only ones who make it out, and a lot of what they do to make it out is that they sort of pull traits from the other group. You know, like, the scientist... uh, Always connect. Yeah, brings that... Uh, they they like take up guns, you know. They they learn to to do that, and so you have at the start of the the movie that they're sort of saying like, you know, the, the helicopter pilot is like, you know, why don't we just go to an island and live at our time and do this? That comes back, and then that does what wind up being what they do. It's just clear that there's some sort of knowledge or wisdom that they've gained in the process of staying there that made going to the island at the end actually worthwhile and not some sort of nightmare. Some might and say do- it's the journey instead of the destination. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really like um, uh, the, the characters and the, that they've assembled here in their, in their little military operation. Um, some of my favorite um, assembling the squad archetypes are present. Um, the drunk Scott Irish rediscovering his faith. Um, <laughs> The self- Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Jesus, yeah. Mary, and Joseph. Um, the self-interested black man, which is very popular in a lot of films. and um, Who became... Is he doing a Jamaican accent in this? 
I can't he is tell. every once in every a while. He became Jamaican <laughs> five minutes before. <laughs> you know, well, sometimes he was doing Jamaican, and then sometimes it sounded like he was hanging around set too much with the Scott Irish guy because it definitely started sounding Irish. Yeah, well, but that's, that's, that's I pick that's, up accents. That's one hundred percent my favorite so. sort of screenwriting, where you're like, all right, we need two characters who like don't give a fuck and they want to go party, uh, Jamaican and Irish. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. We got to take a break. Um, We'll talk more about the movie in a little bit, but unfortunately, no, you know what? Fortunately, yeah, we got to go to Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is a mountain that has four, the four most iconic presidents. Let's say um, they For are the all sake presidents. Of argument. For the sake of argument, it is a mountain. They are presidents. It is mostly their heads. Um, we are going to do that same thing, but instead of presidents, we are going to do bullies. And Kate, I'm going to ask you this first. What, just in general, mm-hmm. what does a good movie bully need to have or do? Hmm. A good movie bully, just like a good real bully, um, has to have access um to the to the parts of the protagonist that that they fear themselves um i guess what i'm saying is a is a is a true foil right um and and the only way to be a true foil is to be a developed human being if you're assuming your your protagonist is a developed character as well um and so i think that um a lot of times i my favorite movie bullies are um yeah, I guess I guess people who seem to um, understand and manipulate uh, the the social contract between them and that other person. So whether or not it's like Regina George and you know Lindsay Lohan's character inside of uh, Mean Girls is a is you know it's a pretty prototypical bully situation. Um, yeah, but- and I do like too that like they do they take advantage of how we're all supposed to act. Mm-hmm. And they know that they have only got two hours, and then they're gonna yeah. get fucking punched. But they're gonna love the shit out of those two hours. Yeah. Like they're gonna yeah. take advantage. Yeah. That's you're right. That to me, bullies are, um, th- but they're enforcers, right? Bullies are enforcing something always. And I think specifically in the context of this film, it often has to do with civility or the ways that we're supposed to act. The ro- the way that a, a high school bully wants you to behave in the in the hall or. Um, you know, a, an office place, uh, you know, predator of some sort likes to kind of cut you down to size. Um, it's funny, in this movie, the army guys are pissed at the zombies because they're not civil, but the only thing that pisses them off more is when a zombie is learning how to be civil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Tompkins, what does a movie bully need to have for you? Uh, I think one critical element is that there needs to be something um, at least background sympathetic about them because one of the worst things about being bullied is that you then, because you are an empathetic person, have to feel bad somehow about the person who's, like, shoving your head in a toilet or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think another thing is, is like, a sense, in, a, in, in, like, a truly movie bully sense, like, um, uh, the, like an inescapability. You just know that they're lurking around every corner. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you talk shit, you know that you're going to turn the corner at high school and you're going to run right into their giant. Anytime something good happens to you, 
you know for a fact. That yeah. <laughs> well, bullies bullies uh, thrive on fear, right? And so the um, I lost my sentence. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had such an important, exciting thing to say, but it was you were say. getting so Kate. so Freud. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, all right. I'm sorry. Okay, so you guys are going to nominate pe- people to be on the Rushmore of movie bullies. So the four most iconic bullies of all time, and I'm interested to see where you guys take this because I think it's typically a school thing, um, but also, you know. If you want to make an argument for Darth Vader, you know, like you totally have that right. You know, you can like however out of the box you want to go. I'm not going to give you a point for that, but uh, we'll see. Tompkins, we're going to start with you. Okay. Uh, who is definitely going on the mountain? I think that the number one overall, like head and shoulders above anyone else, the Jerry Rice of movie bullies, is Biff okay. Tam- wait, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but this is Mount Rushmore. It, like. It's only going to be their head and shoulders. Like, not full bodies. <laughs> oh, on yeah. So it is going to be weird because I guess it's going to be this guy's, like, chest. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Biff Tannen from Back to the Future. Ah, uh, yes. Is such, there is, we, we talked about, being, like, he is um, pathetic in his own way, and it's very obvious. But he is such a menace, and he's a menace throughout three different movies in a different way to the point, uh, in very different ways, to the point that by the third movie you realize that he's just like a bully time lord. He exists uh, at every point along history. There is a Biff Tannen or (laughs) a relative of his who looks exactly like him who is going to do the thing that most makes your life miserable. And I also think that, so like the reason that Darth Vader is not a good bully is that he is uh, a genocidal murderer. So that's not really like bully territory, but Biff Tannen is perfectly just a shitty bully. And that like his absolute worst peaks just into like, Oh, that is a real actual crime. You are now trying to sexually assault someone, (laughs) but then most of the time, they are hovering below the water waiting to get that bad. When you say Darth Vader is not a good bully, I know that you meant he's not like a good suggestion for this list, but I just imagine that he's, he just doesn't have the talent or skill yeah. as a character. <laughs> he, just, he tries to like, take people's lunch money all the time, and he just can't do he it. Can't, well, he's too powerful. I mean, if he wants to bully someone, he just chokes them to death. There's really no... There's nothing but left to money. bully. <laughs> Tompkins. Uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, I think that's the most slam dunk in movie history. Like, I think that much like George A. Romero uh, created what we know as zombie movies, uh, bullies were forever changed after <laughs> Biff Tannen came on the screen. Uh, so yeah, you get a point. Uh, Kate, who do you got? Um, I would say the number one bully of all time uh, is um, the character. Um, Henry Potter, played by Lionel Barrymore in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, oh, shit. I think that that is speaking to Tompkins' own and much more eloquent position than mine, may I add, uh, opinions on what um, make a good bully. Um, the omnipresence of Potter, of Pottersville, of the ultimate power over house and home and safety um, and social the general social fabric is completely dictated in this world by but, by Harry Potter. Is that Henry Harry Potter, Harry Potter by <laughs> Harry Potter? Um, and and I also think that this what makes um, 
It's a Wonderful Life so compelling. One of the many things is the way that it kind of plays with the Hayes Code. It doesn't fulfill its obligations to the studios to promise that at the end of the movie, the good guys get the good stuff and the bad guys are punished. In that movie, that man is never punished. Um, and I think that that is part of um, Kate. the what makes him so interesting. That background sympathy that we're supposed to have for him is more inaccessible than it is in the average movie bully to me because of the Jimmy Stewart character and his strengths as a protagonist. So going back to what I was saying, like needing to be a good foil. Jimmy Stewart as a character is incredibly good and willing to look for the good and sympathetic and beautiful in people. That is what he is as a person. So for him, the perfect bully is someone who's fundamentally pathetic. He's old and he's angry and it's easy to see how he's sick. He's alone. And like, it's easy to see how he is worth pity um, but he is not, um, he isn't kind enough or doesn't earn, um, the, the necessary respect from Jimmy Stewart, uh, to offer him any kind of reconciliation at the end. And I think that that, I think that that makes it a better bully. I think that the, I think the best bullies are not bullies you can be friends with at the end. I think you learn a lot from them, but I don't think that a real bully I have, I have a question it. about this, but I, I have never um, actually seen It's a Wonderful Life. I've just absorbed it um, passively Kate. over many years. Um, is he going out of his way to make the protagonist busy, or does he just have inflexible authority? Because like, I would not yeah. consider Scrooge to be a bully. He's a mean person, but he's not a bully, because he's yeah. not... Victimizing. He's not, yeah, he he is. No, I think like I think the thing taking that taking advantage of mm-hmm. the reason that Potter's going on this list, I think, is because of all the things that Kate said, but also he's just such a fucking little bitch. Yeah, like, people just <laughs> uh, like the the, petty, the part where he just petty, petty, yeah, petty. yeah, and but gets off on it. Mm-hmm. Like you know that if he could get hard, he would get hard. <laughs> with like when he he'll, he sees the money on the desk that George allegedly loses, and he covers it up. And it's not even to, like, keep the money. He doesn't need the money. He just likes, like, making <laughs> yeah. people yeah. fail so for, in his petty bullshit for way. For Tompkins, if you, for you, you haven't seen this movie. Uh, Potter owns all of the real estate, and everyone has to come yeah, snilling to I him know. for mortgages, right? Um, no, he specifically, from a young, from uh, an 18-year-old George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, um, arrives at his father's building and loan um, uh, uh, after he has died and defends um, the, the purpose and the, the institution itself in the face of Potter, saying that we need somewhere in this town for people to go uh, where they don't have to go crawling on their knees to, to Potter. And so for the rest of the movie, it is specific. It is specifically Jimmy Stewart, George Bailey, that this man, this powerful man, powerful, pathetic, and fundamentally... Um, unforgivable man um, completely dictates this man's life. And the only way that George Bailey is able to overcome this bully is through his incredible personal growth and his journey. And I think that that actually goes back to what makes a really good bully, what makes a really good foil, is it needs to be the exact right tool for the protagonist to grow and to, and to go on their journey. Right? So... All right, guys. We are out of time, and we only have two heads on the mountain. So we're gonna go into a we're gonna go into a bit of a speed round. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tompkins, give me a name. Scott Farkas from a from a Christmas Story. He had green right. eyes. 
<laughs> and what else did he have? What else did he motherfucking have besides red green hair? Eyes? He had fucking <laughs> red hair and ruined my childhood <laughs> because everyone thought I was Scott Farkas, and I had no choice but to then act like Scott Farkas to everyone. I, I want to make it clear: his name is not Scott. His name is Scut. Scut Farkas. <laughs> Well, then his parents knew. His parents were like, oh, no, he's going to be a piece of shit. Uh, I'm actually going to put that on the mountain. So we've got one spot yeah. left. Kate, even can faster I, speed around. Let's go. Can I make um, a, a, an outside? No, 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 no. It's my turn. Ready? Kate. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Bully Bob Thornton. Oh, and if not Bully Bob Thornton, then Mother Nature herself. Let me answer this. Um, uh, what do the movies Twister, The Perfect Storm, and Eight Below all have in common? <laughs> They all have Billy Bob Thornton? They all have Billy Bob Thornton. What they all have is the ultimate adversary of man versus nature. Um, And I think that when we watch something like Into the Wild. (laughs) Fine. Well, then I, then, then, okay. Okay. Um, I double uh, boo you, man. Okay. Okay. Ready? Bully Crudrup. Tompkins, (laughs) you can can give me two now. All right. If you have two. All right. I have two. So I'm going to give you a safe one, and then I'm going to give you a a, a little bit more of a a risk. The the safe choice, I think, is Sid from Toy Story. Mm -hmm. The outside choice that I think... So there really are an incredible amount of picks for this. It's a hard one to do, but I think because of that, it is important to categorize and and go by archetype and there is one specific bully that i think needs representation on this mountain the bully that it takes people forever to figure out that they're a bully and i think that that is best represented by jim from the office (laughs) wait are we still allowing to uh, i didn't know we were allowing tv i thought we were explicitly not allowing tv oh shit (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) all right so that is it. Uh, your hold on. Kate. Your Rushmore of movie bullies <laughs> is Biff Tannen, Henry Potter, Scott Farkas, and Regina George. Who Kate you said earlier in the segment? Yeah, and I stand uh, by that. That was one of my list of four. Actually, I just spent her early. <laughs> nice job, guys. When we come back, we're gonna get dive back into Day of the Dead. Thank you for listening and for your support. If you want to support us more directly, go over to patreon.com slash your pop filter. Pick a tier, shed a tier, get some extra stuff. There's extra shows, extra long shows. Uh, You can make Ryan draw you pictures, make me write you a poem. There's all kinds of stuff over there. You could even get a shirt off our very own backs. That's patreon.com slash your pop filter. We also want to say thank you to Shady Monk for providing all the tunes you hear on this show. Check them out on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, wherever the kids get their music that I'm too old to know. Guys and girls, let's take a look at the character of Sarah, the presumptive hero in only female role. How does Romero do with crafting this character in performance? And what, if anything, are we trying to say here with Sarah and girls and stuff? <laughs> I mean, it's... Hold on. Ryan. I just... That's such a good question. I'm gonna... <laughs> you know, give yourself two. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Ryan. <laughs> okay, uh, no, I also wanted you to give yourself a third one. <laughs> That's not going to work. Hell yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, the movie for 1985, especially, the has good gender politics. Like, it's not, you know, she gets like, 
slapped and berated and really treated like shit. Um, which normally if I hear of, about that happening in a movie from 1985, I assume that like the entire tone is like, ah, this woman won't shut up. Um, but it really does a good job of showing that, 85 like, stand up the entire yeah. time. <laughs> Women, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> that it just sucks to be uh, a woman and to be like the voice of reason among all of these like macho pricks who don't, you know, you see it like right, right at the beginning where Zombies. they have to go fish some zombies out of the zombie holding thing. And all the guys, including her like partner, are like you can't do you can't even do and she's like i've done this before you've seen me do it and they're like ah, i don't care and then the guy fucks it up and she has to like save him and then not only does she has to do that but to stop everyone from shooting at each other immediately every time something like that happens she just has to like put her head down and fucking get back to work mm-hmm. yeah you're totally right but i i love all the stuff that you learned from this movie where I asked that question to both of you and you immediately say, Kate, I got this one. Why don't I? <laughs> it's about... for points. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, no feminist. It doesn't count as sexism if it's for <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, eat my dust. <laughs> but yeah, I... Smash she... your head through the glass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that separates That's her... really good, Tom. <laughs> is... Uh, She's capable, you know, and like the guys that scream at her, which is mostly the army people, the guys that scream at her, um, it's, it's not because she doesn't have a penis. Um, well, I mean, it, it totally 100% is, but yeah. it's not just because like, oh, I get to pick on you. It's just this like you're you're better than me at everything. And that makes me angry. And I have a gun. So instead of like thinking about, uh, you know, our relationship, I'm just going to scream at you with a gun pulled at you and tell you to sit down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that going back to Romero saying that like, like a major part, a major theme of this movie is communication. Uh, that is a character that, that um, makes very early establishes herself as someone who is a clear communicator, who is an organizer, who's a planner um, and, and the voice of reason. Um, an arbitrator. An arbitrator. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that in the context of the story itself, the arbitrator needed to suffer some abuse. Um, and, the I found that the the violence of the you know I never love listening to men talk about raping women um but there but it was um but this felt good no uh <laughs> <laughs> but, damn, but there's something sometimes. <laughs> sometimes when it hits right um <laughs> the but what I think that 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 kind of violence towards her or theoretical violence towards her from those men um, mostly uh, provided was a very similarly othering thing to uh, John, the black character, um, where these are both characters who have a certain um, confidence and self-possession and ability to handle themselves and get through this situation. And they are constantly being um, aggravated, discredited, and um, antagonized by by people who are not interested in learning how to communicate. Um, uh, yeah, they do that classic racist thing of saying, like... Of uh, saying a racial slur? Well, yeah, okay, so... <laughs> racists be, are like, always there's doing a lot, <laughs> There's a lot of racial slurs. If you notice but this. <laughs> they also do that thing of, like, they'll go to John. Is that the guy's name? And yeah, they, John. They, they just want to say what they want to say, but instead they'll, they'll be like, I hate you because of your shoes. And yeah. John's like, I know what you wanted to say yeah. there. But in the meantime, they are thrown out. Like, if you are the slightest difference of 
pure white, you're going to get shit talked by the military in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is that like the four survivor survivors are all um, othered in right. at least some slight way. One of them is Irish, which I think is funny. <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally, somebody speaks up for my people. But but no, I think that he represents old. You know, like yeah. that's how he's different than these young, smoking hot army gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the flip side of this about um, this this lead character is they do a really good job of carving out like a space around her, and I think that this is a really interesting archetype, especially for the time. We've talked about that a lot, but it's still not much of a character. You don't mm-hmm. get much from her besides this, and. and in some ways, that works to its advantage. I, I read that George Romero was like constantly um, having the actress be like less emotional and more reserved, mm-hmm. and I think that works. And then also, like the scene where she finally does cry works better because of that. Um, but I also think it would have been nice to get something that felt a little bit more unique about this person rather than this archetype. I also would have loved if George Romero said to the main army dude, maybe calm down a little bit in yeah. any of your fucking dialogue. Like, maybe yeah. just chill back in the slightest. Because he really does scream from yeah. minute one to yeah. minute 90. All right. I, like, I, I do think it's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, Romero has always said that, like, I can't believe you guys saw that in, in my movies because I didn't. But uh, I, I think that she is interesting and uh, like the whole capable women just make men mad you know and it's like you're making me more mad than the zombies and I thought they did a good job with that I think she did okay um, as, a, as a performance as an actress and relatively speaking guys I want to get to this real quick because I thought that I was prepared going into uh, a whole season of horror movies knowing that acting is not the number one priority um <laughs> I could not believe how fucking awful this was. What did you guys think about our uh, our troop of actors here? <laughs> um, some of them are, in fact, not acting at all. Some of them are acting. Wait, <laughs> when you say not acting, do you mean bub? Uh, is that a fucking real zombie? Did they bring in a real zombie? That I that don't part? even. I have so much to There's say about few, Bub's acting. Like, actually, the the Irish guy just seems to. You know, he's like, "Hey, I, I clock in, I say my lines, I clock out." Um, John is like, "Oh, you want me to do an accent? Okay, yeah, fine. Here, here you go." Um, the bullies are like. They locked those dudes in a room with all the scenes of the hyenas from The Lion King playing on a That's loop. That's exact. For... I, they sounded like hyenas. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. There's one. There's one sort of like short one. Uh, so like, there's the main guy, John and Belushi. John yes. Belushi. Yes. I called them John Belushi and John Goodman. Tiny little John Belushi, uh, who yeah, it's like he is a firecracker that came to life and uh, just. Runs around screaming the entire. Even time. as he's dying, he's laughing and being like, <laughs> "I, I personally." Oh, was this the guy who died and became the crypt keeper? Yeah. <laughs> was this pre tales from the crypt? Sorry, go ahead. Kate. Um, I loved the character Miguel, the the cruel love interest. Um, 
And that opening monologue when he's like, we're all collapsing. The whole fucking unit's collapsing, except for you. I know you're strong, all right? Stronger than me, stronger than everyone. And it was, uh, it, it's very fun. I was reading, and it, um, it's a, it kind of a fun fact. Um, I was actually inspired by, by Tom's first month at Army. Uh, Romero <laughs> apparently instructed the actor, Anthony um, Delio Jr., to kind of read his lines as more of a sniveling Nancy type to elicit the same kind of contempt and disgust that Tompkins inspired um, and so many at that time. Um, and, uh, and the character's attempted suicide is, uh, is kind of a fun nod to the fact that everyone wants you to kill yourself. Uh, so I really, I found that character very interesting. Now, when you say suicide, do you mean when Miguel, who is just at its wit's end, uh, <laughs> uh, runs and lays on the elevator platform with all the zombies and then goes downstairs? I would not yeah. call that an attempted suicide. Well, no, that's the thing is that because uh, I, I looked it up because I was trying to understand what it was exactly. And um, according to according to the multiple outlets that I was reading, that was referenced as a as a suicide attempt a couple different times. He did at least self sacrifice his body to the zombies. Um, however, uh, I, I still don't fully understand what he was, what he accomplished by doing that or why he did it. Well, what we have is we have, uh, we have a sacrifice, which I don't know mm-hmm. if that reminds you of a character. Uh, and then we have, the, <laughs> we have the eating of the flesh and then, uh, he is whining the entire time. So isn't wine the blood of Christ? Miguel is our Christ figure, guys. We should have a sound for every time. Whining. Christ figure is brought up. Just, <laughs> oh, we're now a movie podcast officially. There's got to be a, a Mel Gibson quote that we can <laughs> plug into I the also, soundboard. I really genuinely, genuinely think that the best acting in the film, um, and I think that there was some fun acting. Like I think that uh, the Dr. Frankenstein character, I really liked the choices he was making um, uh, because they're – there are a lot of ways to play mad scientists. There are a lot of ways to play mad scientists and they're all over the top. And I think that that's part of the fun and his right as a performer to overact the mad scientist in a horror movie, you know? Yeah. Um, we already talked about his clothes, but also uh, him really like, it, like this is a passion project. Like he's trying to get this done. He's trying to fight back the yeah. military, but also is there food? Yeah. And I'm yeah. just trying to I was gonna say, is there food? It's yeah. hilarious. Cause the, the, I think the other, the other guy who he falls into, I think if you were acting on this movie at a certain point, it just becomes impossible not to scream because everyone around mm. you is doing it. And so you just devolve into it. Um, and the guy who plays the military leader falls into that. But the first few scenes he's in, I think he is doing a great job. He has a really strong screen presence and the scene where the doctor strolls in covered in blood and asks for food and then him and the the military guy get into it that's the only scene in the movie where it feels like two actors are playing against each other and you're like oh craft they are working on this this is cool as opposed to just like i'm gonna say my lines there's no one else on set right now like let's just get the coverage done i'm not reacting um, there's a typo in the script. I, I, I guess I'll just read it with the typo. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> and I could speak for hours on the virtuosity of Bub the zombie. Then do it. Um, yeah, I, I think that first and foremost, I mean, a, almost a kabuki level of facial dexterity that were, that, that that character acquired. Like that is. Do you see his, his mouth was all over the goddamn place? Um, and I really, what that mouth do. (laughs) And, and there were two things. Um, it really made, I love 
in every monster movie, the train your monster how to hold a fork montage is always so fucking fun. And the best version of that in history is obviously young Frankenstein putting on the Ritz. And that's what I was thinking while he was (laughs) holding this book. And the doctor was like, you see him holding this book? That's evidence. He remembers. He remembers it all. Yeah. Or just (laughs) classical music. I think that the only reason that classical music exists, because nobody actually fucking listens to it, right? It's it's bullshit. There's not, people don't even rap over it. So I don't understand. (laughs) But uh, it, it just it exists so people can prove that I was once a savage. But <laughs> exactly, now, but yeah. now I'm. <laughs> now I am. Now I am perfect. Yeah. The, and the, and the, the last thing that I'll say about Bub is the scene <laughs> when he arrives at the body of his, of his dead creator. And the agony on his face, I, I kid you not, immediately thought of Tom Cruise and Magnolia at the bedside of Jason Robar. <laughs> Just like I fucking hate you, man. I, I thought, <laughs> Don't you leave me? I thought for sure you were gonna say I immediately thought of Tom Kins when he was in the army. That snively <laughs> bitch. Um, but yeah, like when you see him, you know, like we're gonna get to the zombies and the effects and the gore later. But when you see him, he looks different, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. because he's got like more of a classic sort of just—it's just makeup, you know. He he's looks a little classically dead. handsome. <laughs> but it's it's because they need him to be like, uh-huh. you know that like <laughs> yeah that face that makes that sound and just uh, look at things with he has to he, he has to be able to do that face thing where we're like he's different. I like him because he's different than the rest of the zombies. <laughs> Tim yeah, Allen would have been a mouth. great. They probably couldn't get him, but Tim Allen would have been great as Bub. Um, <laughs> the the grunt work, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also just th- that book scene is really great because I, I love yeah it's 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 great acting from him and it's like really well constructed around the acting to where um, him doing all the, where it's like clearly there's some sort of intelligence there's you see like half of a spark behind his eye as he's like pawing through this book and stuff like that and no one is affected by that but then when he holds the gun. Uh, mm-hmm. They're like, oh, but like this. I do not like this. This scares me. And going back to like zombies as sort of an analogy for how like the ruling class view of the average Joe, the idea that this person could actually be smarter and more soulful or more interesting than you were willing to give them credit for, nothing. Don't care. Why would I? The idea that this mm-hmm. thing could like pick up a gun is like, okay, kill it. We gotta. <laughs> Oh, and I, I also love too that like uh, he he has a book, uh, and that's awesome. You know, like mm-hmm. come on, zombies. You know, I'm I'm big into education. <laughs> I want everybody to learn. I want everybody to read more. But it's Stephen King, so you're like, okay, it's good. It's but a start. It's a, yeah. So baby <laughs> yeah. steps, I guess. I guess we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, guys, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, um, Kate, I don't know if you know this yet, but this is the mm-hmm. most important part of any episode, any podcast that we do. It's motherfucking trivia time, and it's time to get your points. Hell yeah. Trivia. That's it. That was the break. What'd you guys do on your break? <laughs> I wrote a Stephen King novel. <laughs> 900 pages, Tompkins. That's pretty yep. good. <laughs> I pretty much pwned Tompkins with some eviscerating wordplay. <laughs> like through he hasn't. He hasn't recovered quite. Yeah. yeah, through text. She was scribbling it, it in the limerick. margins of my novel <laughs> as I was. And then I was like, see, he remembers. He remembers everything. 
<laughs> See oh, yeah, that the, glint of the, consciousness in its eyes? The way that trivia works is that I'm going to read the question. Please wait till I am totally done, or your opponent will get so many points. Mm-hmm. When I'm done with the question, say your name. That is you buzzing in, and then you can answer. Pretty, pretty easy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go, trivia. George Romero intended Day of, the, Day of the Dead to be the what movie of zombie films? Tompkins. Tompkins. Gone with the Wind. Tompkins. That is well correct. Done. <laughs> well done. Uh, and it turns out that it's not. It's <laughs> more sensitive well. than that movie. Uh, true or false, no one has ever seen all of Gone with the Wind. Tompkins. <laughs> Tompkins. True. That is true. No one has ever actually seen the movie before. The director of this movie's first name is George. Are most people with the first name George good people or bad people? Kate. Kate? They're mostly white. They are mostly white. That is true. (laughs) Which means that they are bad. Uh, When Rhodes is torn in half, what blood-covered classic gag is visible? Which one is Rhodes? Not telling you. Not fucking telling you. Hold on. I'm trying to remember his death. Well, if you, you're you not going to be able to remember his death and then be like, oh, okay. oh I remember, yeah, I remember um, that classic Kate, gag. Kate. Yeah, Kate. Kate. Um, I'm going to say uh, uh, throat rip opens, uh, blood go far. Okay, so like classic <laughs> gag is like uh, fake barf or like whoopee cushion? Yeah, it's, you know, blood, like it's blood splurt, not Blood splurt, gag. okay. <laughs> B- blood splurt. It's <laughs> talking about blood splurt. Oh, uh, Tompkins. Yeah, Tompkins. Are you talking about the thing where they they like hit his when his legs get torn away, and uh, the actor is like clearly hidden, like and it's like the fake legs. No, I'm talking about that. Like when a guy gets ripped in part, ripped in half, there's a like a whoopee cushion in his stomach, like one of those classic Kate. gags. Yeah, Kate. Kate. Whoopee cushion in his stomach. <laughs> it is not whoopee cushion. <laughs> Tompkins, one more chance. Um. Is it a can of snakes? It is. Oh, that is a good one. That's a fucking classic, guys. That is a banger. If you're ever throwing a party, can of snakes. Uh, it's a rubber chicken. What item is obviously the king of the classic gag gifts? Kate. Kate? Whoopee cushion. It is, that, that is close. That's number two, but that is incorrect. Tompkins, you got anything? Uh, hand buzzer. That is incorrect. It's fake, fake poop. It is awesome <laughs> to throw right at people. Is uh, that just real poop? <laughs> What, what famous Danny Glover and Joe Pesci romp was also filmed in Fort Myers, Florida? Oh. Just <laughs> uh, say your name. Say something dumb. Tompkins. Tompkins. I think the name of the movie is Gone it's Fishing. Oh, my Kate. goodness. Tom. It is Gone Fishing. You asshole. <laughs> I saw you clicking away over there. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, no. Take that back. Take that back. No, right? Do not fall not for her bullshit. Tompkins, don't you even do that. Tompkins, I saw look you. me in the eye and tell me that you did not look it up. Kate. Right, I would never look that up. What the fuck? <laughs> All right, Kate, this is just for you. How many okay. G's are in the title Gone Fishing? One. That is correct. Yes! <laughs> I was worried. <laughs> Uh, when McDermott says all of the shopping malls are closed, the score from what movie plays in the background? Kate. Yes. Night of the Living Dead? Incorrect. Mm. Tompkins? 
If you're on your fucking computer, I swear to God. Look at his face. You can I see. I know. <laughs> you can I'm see. I'm contemplating. <laughs> I'm thinking I, I'm deeply. I'm contemplating with a mouse and a keyboard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording a podcast. I got to type out my thoughts in the Google search bar or I forget them. <laughs> uh, the answer is Dawn of the Dead. That's the one about shopping Shit, malls. I was mm. so close. Uh, number nine, in the opening dream scene where all of the arms come out of the wall, one of the arms belongs to Sarah's husband. Is this interesting? Tom. Kate. Kate. No. It is not interesting Kate. at all. Number 10, speaking of arms, the arms of what type of animal are guaranteed to us thanks to the U.S. Constitution? Tompkins. Tompkins? Bear. Bear arms, yes. We have the right <laughs> to bear arms. Which 2014 <laughs> animated feature film focused on the holiday called the Day of the Dead? Uh, oh God! Do um, I know? I know the. I know the. Oh uh, an, wait, twenty fourteen. No, I know exactly what it Animated looks like. Film. All right. Well, the whole point of this was for you guys to buzz in and say oh, the obvious uh, answer. Tom uh, Tompkins. Tompkins. Coco. Coco was motherfucking two thousand seventeen. I know. Moron, I said. <laughs> oh, also, I accidentally gave you a point for that. <laughs> for some reason, every time I balance go to it out, balance you, it out. Give me a point too. Balance it out. Right. Okay. Uh, no. It was called. Kate, do you have an answer? No. Three years before Coco <laughs> was a movie called The Book of Life. Number twelve. <sighs> when you uh. steal a, When you steal a copy of Pixar's two thousand seventeen movie, what do you have? Kate. Yes, Kate. Um, uh, in Inside Out. No, I think that's too early. No, no. Tom, you got anything? If you steal a copy of Pixar's 2017 hit movie, what do you have? <laughs> Coco in the. Uh, Coco in the. Yeah, good start. <laughs> chased by Popo. Uh, okay, no. Kate. Do you have another one? <laughs> I would just like to make a point of saying I didn't say what Tompkins said, and therefore I should get a point. <laughs> oh, man, Kate, you are right. Uh, when you steal a copy of Pixar's She's being real Tompkins over there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Did you ask her to act like this? Hey, hey Kate, uh, do, do a persona on the show, and that persona is asshole me. Uh, when you steal a copy of Pixar's 2017 movie, you have hot cocoa. Number 13. <laughs> What's the best place to get Pixar's 2017 hit film on Blu-ray and a delicious chicken meal? Tompkins. Tompkins. Um, Cocoa. So, and a delicious hot chicken meal? Delicious Coco Jangles? Chicken. Incorrect, Kate. <laughs> there is a place just called Coco's. Is it that? No. Nobody goes there for delicious chicken. Uh, it's El Pollo Coco. Number 14. <laughs> This hip island is a good place to hang out with the Beach Boys and watch 2017's hit Pixar movie. Kokomo's. <laughs> uh, Co -co Tompkins. Kokomo. Oh. It is Kokomo, yeah. <laughs> Kate sort of served you that one. Uh, number 15. The female, lead of, of, the female lead of The Big Bang Theory is directing a remake of 2017's hit Pixar film. What are people calling it? Tompkins. Tompkins. Um, Kaylee Coco. Uh, no, you're so close. What are they Kate. calling it? Kaylee's Kate. Coco. Kaylee Coco's Coco. Kate, what is it? <laughs> Kaylee Coco's Coco. That is correct. Oh, you got it right God. there at the end. <laughs> and that is trivia. We're going to take a break, <laughs> and we're going to talk about Day of the Dead. I don't want Fucking mercifully, please. Can we just get back to it? 
Hey guys, real quick before we get back to the rest of the show, I just wanted to tell you about yourpopfilter.com. Go to that website to get everything that is Pop Filter, all of our podcasts, all of our articles, all of our secrets. Everything is on yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. And if you make that your new Amazon bookmark, then you can help Amazon less and us more. And isn't that what we all want to do in the world? Some of those podcasts that you can get on the website or in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your shows uh, include the Superhero Hour Hour, where Cassie, Mike, and I discuss every single TV show based on a comic book, and the OCD, where Mike and I discuss every episode of the OCD. And then, of course, Movie of the Year, where Greg, Mike, and I try to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. So make sure you're downloading all of those shows. Leave a review. Leave a star rating. Leave a podcast. If you have an idea for an episode, just record it and email it to us, and we'll probably put it on the air. Thanks. Bye. Kate. Yes, sir. Tompkins. Howdy do. We have been doing such a good job of discussing everything that Day of the Dead is trying to say as a movie. But does it feel like that we uh, are leaving something out? Don't you think that Day of the Dead provides the world with something that we have not even brought up whatsoever? Discushy guts. Taste buds, I ask you this. Does at least the level and craft of gore here earn the movie a special place in history along with its magician, Tom Savini? Mm. Yes. I think if so. You, if you care about movies at all, which I hope to God our listeners do, um, then on that level alone, like because there were... Um, there, there's one scene in particular where I, I went back and watched it like two or three times and just thought like, I honestly don't know how they did this because they pull something fake off of someone and until it's like fully off of the person, I thought it was that person's thing. (laughs) Okay. Eventually you did decide that it was just special effects though, right? Yes. Do you think this person was murdered live on camera? Oh, yeah. I think we watched uh, an hour and a half long snuff film. (laughs) Mega snuff. Uh, What were the things that stood out? Did you guys, like, when we got to those parts, right? And we all know that eventually we would. It Mm -hmm. it, it takes a while, but we got there. Um, Is that boring to you guys? Were you rolling your eyes? Or did you then become a different type of movie watcher? And you're like, God damn. I think I think I become a very different type of movie watcher when it comes to horror special effects, and I think it's I think for me, especially in these types of movies in this era, um, I don't viscerally respond with any kind of horror. I am very fascinated by the artistry behind it. To me, it really, um, especially in these older horror movies, it's, it really is a craft to see how how they manufacture blood and sinew and and muscle and um, and. He, well, I was. I did notice, like, wow, they're, they were, they worked with a lot of textures. Like, whenever a bloody body was coming up, you had bloody bones, you had coagulated, you know, masses of stuff. You had like a lot of a lot of um, stretchy, pulley, nervy looking uh, um, tissue that I, I usually don't see um, in lower budget uh, special effects. So yeah, I I'm not sure really how did. flesh works when you bite into it, but. Whatever I, I used to think, I think this now. Like, now I think this is exactly what it looks like. Yeah, agreed. It also, it works like, it does have that really cool, like, 80s 
practical effects vibe to it where it's it's almost like watching a magic show like you're not um the movie isn't trying necessarily to convince you that this is real it is like yeah how did they actually fucking do this and there are a few moments where it like apparently this weaker moment is because um there was like a malfunction on set that they had to fix quickly but the the guy's arm getting chopped off uh, with the machete was not a particularly shining moment. <laughs> um, but then there's other stuff, like the the, um, the zombie with his tongue hanging out of his throat uh, yeah. that the title of the movie goes over, where it's just like, it doesn't look like someone put that on to, you know, someone's fully functioning jaw and hit it or whatever. You just wind up being like, how did they and that's what makes a good magic trick and also what makes mm-hmm. a good special effect is is you just cannot for the life of you figure out how they do yeah i don't know if like uh 11 year olds are watching this and saying like well this is stupid because you know i have the walking dead i have star wars i have i have all cgi all the time you know like i've got the marvel movies this is stupid but man did it make me miss practical effects and mm-hmm. i did yeah. the thing that you're talking about kate of like I want to know how they did that. Like, I'm trying to watch to see how they did that. And I, 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 do, I, did, I didn't do the thing that you did, Tompkins. Of like, I actually knew it was fake the whole time. But still, <laughs> I'm a little queasy. You know, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be, but I totally yeah. am. You know, that's the desired effect. I knew it was fake, and I wasn't even scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy... Um, really well done muscle mass when it comes to to horror movies i feel like there is there's always gonna be a space for blood splurts in the canon always gonna be places for splurts splurts and splurts but i think um having i think that what makes what makes a zombie so scary is the fact that it's made out of a human being is the fact that it is human flesh and therefore somewhat recognizable but deeply mutilated um and that's what makes it freaky and so i think having a zombie movie without having really good practical effects around not just like blood and gore but flesh i think is really important and i think that they did a really good job yeah and and the the bones the guts i mean there's a time where like guts just pours out of a guy onto the floor and it's not a blood spurt those are motherfucking guts and and even smaller moments too, like where the gore's like when the right after that when he drills into the guy's head to to kill him, like it's so seamlessly done, and it's also like it's such a good example of like putting these practical effects in service of like tone and theme and atmosphere because you're learning a lot about the doctor right then. You're learning a lot about and and I also think having not just the gory tearing limb from limb typical zombie stuff but like the medical laboratory setting in there it's both an opportunity for other really cool weird special effects stuff and to uh have those special effects feed into a lot of what we've been talking about in the the other segments of like this idea of like this disgusting inner life plus too if you want a bunch of crazy shit to happen uh lay that person on a bed and then yeah. you can get underneath him and just make all sorts of yeah. things come out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think that this um, thinking about um, the blood and the gore and the and the construction of what the zombies looked like, um, 
well, I was watching this, um, obviously this is in the context of a pandemic and in the context of all of us bunkering in some ways from some outside, outsourced evil somewhere. I don't believe um, in that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are two, there are two movies that I've watched a, a couple different times while during, uh, while, while, you know, throughout this pandemic and they're my two favorite, like, uh, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic movies. And um, those movies are Children of Men and I Am Legend. Very different movies. But I Am Legend, I think um, uh, one of the reasons, I think that it succeeds in a lot of ways, but one of the reasons that it fails is the shiny plasticity of of how they represented the zombies. Because right. it's a very similar story of like a doctor trying to rehabilitate or at least control the human aspects of this diseased version of the world um okay i'm gonna give you a point for bringing up children of men and then thank you tompkins a point because you like i am legend (laughs) (laughs) oh shit you guys know what that means it's the speed round here we go guys (laughs) did what did you guys think of the fact that uh the two accents that we had were uh jamaican and irish tompkins you do not have to so. say your name. <laughs> I, well, I'm just telling you what I thought. Oh, yeah. Because you are the most Irish Jamaican guy I know. Uh, next, what are we doing with the concept of time in this movie? We talked about how the titles are going through time, but what about the construct of time just in this feature film? Yeah, you get the calendar at the beginning and the calendar at the end and a few other mentions throughout. And I think that the, the general... Uh, idea of what it's playing with is they're locked in this bunker. They have no future. They have no hope. Um, but then it's because they're all missing something. And when they find that something, it flips on its head and they're able to enjoy the time that they have left. And it stops being this like relentless march. Wait, what do you, I, I, what do you mean? They find something. What do you uh, like having the patio like, or, um, having like uh, the two guys, the Irish guy and the Jamaican guy, they they basically live in like the paper internet where they just yeah. have all this knowledge. And like once you have that thing, it's not necessarily about you know uh, fighting against God or Mother Nature, which I learned tonight is the ultimate bully. But just like mm-hmm. I'm gonna get my thing, and then I yeah. that is that the answer to happiness? As Curly from City Slickers said, it's <laughs> something different for everyone. Well, actually, Curly didn't say that. Curly implied it, and <laughs> Billy Crystal mm-hmm. unraveled the meaning later on. In the and movie. as as Curly said in the in the musical Oklahoma, "Oh, what a beautiful morning! Oh, what a beautiful day!" <laughs> and as I say every time I'm asked what type of fries <laughs> I want, Curly. <laughs> How good of a job did the movie do at establishing the smoking hot chemistry between Sarah and Miguel? Because they were. <laughs> They were in a relationship, guys. Did you know that? Uh, they, so the mean. soldiers make sure to remind us a bunch that it's not fair that they are. Um, if you took those scenes out, I would not have guessed because all that happens is he slaps her and is mean to her. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they ever kiss. No, I don't think so either. No. And they certainly have no chemistry. <laughs> I do know. I, I I wrote this down because about... 70 minutes into the movie, I realized um, 
that I finally knew what it felt like to be a man because I just kept thinking, which one of these guys is going to fuck her? Because <laughs> that other guy is out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> and they are all seem to be flirty. There were several very flirty moments between her and, like, the dorky scientist with glasses and the Irish guy and John. And, like, John says he wants to put a baby in her. Yeah, yeah. So that feels that, like... Um, uh, it feels like, in fact, she had sexual chemistry with almost every single person uh, yeah. more so yeah. than the person that she said to have. But it, it is kind of funny, though, because I, I think the reality of the situation is that if they weren't um, stuck underground in a missile silo, she really wouldn't have chemistry with anyone. But her options are limited. She's got to get her dick wet. And so she's like, yeah, he seems hot. Let's go with him. And that is very yeah. understandable to me. And yeah, in hey, that Tompkins, sense, we went to the same college. <laughs> <laughs> and so in that sense, uh, their complete lack of chemistry makes total sense to me. Tompkins. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, shit. I almost asked you guys what, like, some question about Coco. Uh, hold on. <laughs> if you guys were zombies uh, who had, like, a theme or a gimmick, what would that theme or gimmick be? I was a big fan big of the tits. marching band zombie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got zombie one, zombie two. We got big tit zombie. <laughs> Kate. I'm sorry. Tom Gates, you said marching band zombie? Yeah. Because we saw one in this movie, right? Yes. There's some There's some poor motherfucker who died in their marching <laughs> yeah. band uniform. I there's really also liked how the parade at the very end had, like, football zombie, bride zombie, yeah. um, uh, cowboy zombie. It was, it was cute. Football zombie is, of course... Football Mike is a zombie, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I like there's cl- there's clown zombie soldier all the all of the the Spice Girls uh, um, as um, but I did love because one of the iconic scenes of the the movie is when the paper blows up against the thing and says the dead walk, which means this had been going on long enough that people were like aware and things were going to shit, but. People still managed to die in a marching band outfit and a clown costume, which means that they basically were like, I ain't taking it off. <laughs> oh, <Wait>. yeah. <laughs> that's, mo- that's, mother- that's a dedication that few people have except for <laughs> marching banders. Yeah. They've got it. I saw somebody uh, somewhere, I don't remember where, ask about this movie. There's a full newspaper, and the headline is The Dead Walk. What are the other stories? <laughs> Who else is like turning yeah. in stories that like, well, this is also important. The White Sox yeah. did win yesterday. Wait, no, actually, there there is an answer for that um, uh, because a lot of the extras got um, a copy of that of, of that fake um, mag uh, newspaper as kind of like a, a parting gift. I assume um, yeah. one. One was obviously like, and let me tell you, it's not looking good for the old Dow S&P. Vice president declares state of emergency. Whereabouts of president unknown. Food supplies dwindle. Man bites man. I like that one. (laughs) The dead walk. Man bites man. man. What what is the story? Like, okay, so you have that headline. What are you writing after that? Based yeah, on what the is past story? two How is weeks, that, that means that a cop bit someone. And <laughs> they're trying to... <laughs> Alright, enough of this. Let's get serious. Last question. Is the end of this movie just watching people get their comeuppance? Like, is it just bullies getting beaten? Or is there, like, is there something to feel about here? Like, uh, are we supposed to feel sad or glad or mad or rad? Are we supposed to feel mm-hmm. radical? I, th- I think you are supposed to feel, like, it's hard because the bullies are so bully-like that the second they step on screen, you're like, okay, you're dead. Cool. So dead. Mm-hmm. You're fucking um, dead. 
And this movie has like the weird, it does the opposite of what most horror movies do, where it's like, oh, happy ending. And then like the monster pops out of the closet where she goes to the helicopter monster p- pops out. And then that turns out to just be another like exhaustion uh, nightmare thing. And then they actually are happy on the beach. So I think it's kind of in between. I think you, that you are supposed to be taking a little bit of satisfaction and watching these like dipshit soldiers get torn apart. But I also think that there's a little bit of a sense of mourning going on or like there, there is something being lost here. And I think that like the, the wisdom that the movie wants you to, to gather uh, is, is that like, yeah, and it sucks, and it sucks that we can't have these things anymore, but they are not the important things. As long as you like got a that. beach and some fish and a couple of buds, let me tell you, that other stuff... Melts right away. Melts <laughs> right away. One of the things I did appreciate, though, is that if, if we were gambling at the beginning of the movie, we knew that Sarah and the other two were going to make it out, right? If we yeah. were gambling at the beginning of the movie, I'd guess that helicopter got top billing. <laughs> That, that fucking whirly that bird. Fucking, that fucking whirly bird. <laughs> number one on the call sheet, that one. Uh, but I also thought I would uh, at some point bet that uh, Dr. Frankenstein and nerd with glasses that Sarah loves more than Miguel would make it mm-hmm. out. And the yeah. military at certain points are just like, no, fuck you, and then blow them away. They're like, yeah. I don't give a shit. You're fucking dead. Yeah. All right, guys. That is it for the speed <laughs> round. We have some awards to give out, so we're going to take a teeny tiny break. And when we come back, our last chance for points. The Oscars gave Day of the Dead no awards and no nominations, but we're going to give it five right now. Our first award is Pound for Pound Performance, which means who did the best with their screen time. Kate, you're up first. Who do you think gets this award? 1,000% Bub the Zombie. Um, I stand by my earlier statements. I think that he had one of the harder jobs. They were all overacting, but he was covered in plastic and had to try and make uh he, he he managed to make himself feel, uh, feel more human than most of the other people involved um it again took incredible facial dexterity and and a mastery of kind of pantomime um and i and i was really moved by him i thought that when he when he accomplished something it was quite sweet and when uh he had power he didn't know how to wield you felt scared for him and sensitive uh yeah like did you get nervous he, when bub got trapped in that invisible box Oh yeah, that oh was yeah, hard, right? and I was uh, it was it was hard for me to watch Bub uh, hold the gun. <laughs> the well, because it like you were saying, Tompkins, where it's like no one minded or paid any attention to this bright young man when he picked up his book, but the second that uh, that you put put something so um, aggressively violent, obviously um, inside of his hands, it it, it did, you did feel like the. Um, both the innocence and the danger of this, of this I humanoid. This is going to be hard to beat, Tompkins. <laughs> Tompkins, who do you got? <laughs> I, I I think Bub does uh, a great job, um, and the actor behind Bub, um, and he does a lot with a little in that role, which is always impressive. But I am always more impressed by someone who. Like, Bub is given so little and has to spin it into gold. I think that uh, Richard Liberty, who plays Dr. Logan, is given so much that mm-hmm. is 
awful and has to spin that into gold. He has so many lines that in the hands of a lesser actor, like him storming in, again, soaked head to toe in blood, sitting down and saying, do we have food? That is tough to pull off. And he nails it. And he plays like a very interesting... um, character with layers like there there's a lot going on with him he's fucked up in several different ways uh he has to do like audio recordings where he sounds weird and crazy i i i i think that i i think that he takes it because again it's it's Mm -hmm. he he is working with like what by all means should be an awful uh scripted character yeah to me he is absolutely the the close second or or, you know, tied for first in terms of the performance. And I mean, one one moment that really stood out to me that kind of spoke to the idiosyncratic choices that that actor was making was when he was behind the glass when uh, Bub was first picking up some razor blade tools and he was going off and talking about his dad and how his dad thought he would never, he'd never be rich. Um, yeah. and, the, and the way that he delivered those lines um, was incredibly convincing in terms of like, um, oh, this is a person whose pathology is leaking out of him at every moment, and he doesn't totally have control over it. Um, and uh, and things that uh, what I loved about that line too was that no one, not a single character in that movie, um, referenced a life outside of this bunker at all. There is no personal life involved. There are no you know like, this is where I come from, and this is my background, and this is my baggage. None of that really. Um, and so what was very distinct to that moment when it was just more character development than, than anyone else uh, was probably given. And I think that what he did with it was make it, was point out like, whoa, this is a, his acting choices really brought attention to this bizarre little tick inside the, this weird guy's brain. I don't know what to do here. Like, first of all, Tompkins, you're going to get Tom. the point uh, because <laughs> he was great. And I also, I'm always a fan of somebody who's like, oh, you want me to play uh, Dr. John Frankenstein Logan. Okay, my real name is stupider. Somehow my my real name is dumber than that. Uh, but Kate, dude, like, just come to town and fucking defend Kate. Tompkins' point like that. Yeah, you're going to get that too. Uh, Thank you. Next up is cringiest moment. Uh, we are dealing in 1985 horror, so there could be a lot of nominees here. But Kate, what was the one where you were like, oh, that's a shiver down my spine? I mean, it's not. It's not funny. It's very sincere when the when the men are uh, at the beginning talking about raping her. Um, uh, the the power dynamic is is very sinister because the volatility of the other clearly with the <laughs> with the swinging for the sen- uh, fences acting choices that all of the all of those men were making. Um, they already very successfully conveyed that hyena mentality that Tompkins had mentioned, um, and seeing um, a person who had just very clearly asserted. Um, uh, power over the room, and then like seeing how, um, in the mid 1980s way, where you can't tell how self-aware it is and what's being joked about and what's being criticized. Seeing, you know, the, uh, even like the the John Belushi guy talking about, uh, what is it? Um, how, they all have big dicks. Oh, the Robacks all got big dicks. <laughs> like you know, like that. So I, th- whenever I saw the John Belushi and John Goodman character inside of room, I'd immediately start cringing, just to prepare for whatever vile things were going to come out of their overly loud mouths. So yeah, Tompkins, I guess it's to you. What is cringier than people screaming about gang raping somebody? 
<laughs> my vote for cringiest moment is 5,000% when you first hear John talk. <laughs> <laughs> And you realize he's going to be doing something roughly like that for the rest of this movie. I, I mean, are you referring to the Jamaican accent? Yes. Okay. He does. I, I cannot, because if I do, someone will pull it up in 10 years and cancel me over it, do any sort of approximation of what he is doing. All I will say is that he is doing it as well as I would have. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I always do in these situations? Uh, when I have to do this, I'm always like, "Mamma mia!" Because you're never going to get in trouble for doing that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, gang rape. Can't, yeah, can't get a point for gang raping. Uh, director's signature moment. So we've talked a lot about how Romero has come into the '80s, and now he's like, "I'm going to take advantage of schlock and see what I can do." What Tompkins do you think is the director's signature moment? Uh, I think that the director's signature moment is uh, Rhodes's death. That's the military commander because you're getting the comeuppance. You're seeing uh, sort of the uh, end of Bub's arc as a zombie character. Um, you're seeing all of that play out. But then also the way that he opens the door and then you see all that zombie hands around him and then they just the the uh, incredible amount of gore and how that leads into like the gore fest uh, chunk of the movie after the, that it's been holding off on so long. That to me was like so many different uh, George Romero things in one little mm-hmm. package. I think it's important for two reasons. One, I'm going to deliver the gore, right? Like that's the money shot of my movie. That's what you're waiting for. But also I do need to arc my characters and have the bullies get destroyed. And two, him looking at the hallway and seeing Bub on one side, he could have ran that way if he mm-hmm. had just motherfucking saluted and accepted him in the beginning. <laughs> but his refusal to say zombie lives don't matter, all lives matter, means that he's going to go the other way and just get fucking decimated. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kate, what do you got for signature moment? Well, we're talking about Romero and we're talking about, you know, the grandfather of a, of a genre and someone who was... Um, incredibly influenced by other people. And so obviously, like Tompkins said, signature director moves, yeah, the gore. You know, we're going to have the social commentary, the, uh, uh, you know, these these very overarching, very obvious Romero things. And so to me, when I was thinking about um, director's signature, I was really enjoying um, all the little ways that Romero likes to remind you that he isn't totally professional or like doesn't go straight by the book and, and enjoys kind of an unconventional unconventional choice um, that lets the audience think he's probably putting more meditation to it than he is. Um, some examples of that were a lot of weird editing choices that I noticed um, that happened consistently throughout the movie, um, enough so for me to feel like it was kind of a signature of at least that, uh, at least um, Day of the Dead. Uh, and so like um, uh, uh, very late to release the tension of a scene um uh so like uh when when that gang raping violence where like they she he's forcing her to sit down um and she refuses to do it for a while and there is this weird altercation between john and Rhodes, um you know because Rhodes is having someone ordering people to shoot people and it becomes this kind of Mexican standoff and she the music swells and she steps between the two men and says no um and that isn't the end 
of the of the scene. It isn't the end of the altercation at all. And um, and when uh, or like when uh, the the zombie tries to shoot Rhodes um, uh, later on, Bub, and you have the dorky science guy say Jesus Christ. Um, uh, they only cut to him on Christ. They cut to Sarah on Jesus and then to him on Christ. Uh, and so for me, I saw a lot of these little um, weird pacing choices that kept me constantly uncomfortable um, and constantly kind of engaging with, with what he was trying to say. Uh, yeah. So to me, that was distinct. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, uh, we know what would have happened to this movie if, you know, Hollywood producers or focus groups got involved, but they mm-hmm. didn't. And so we got this. And it, a lot of it reminds me of Sam Raimi, where he's yeah. like, I don't have the budget to make, uh, like, a, you know, a polished movie. Mm-hmm. But even if I did fuck you, how about that? I'm not going to anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because there is, I mean, yeah, like the, uh, the other thing at the end of that um, gang rape threat scene is at the very end of it, you have you have Rhodes, you know, giving his ultimatum. And then we cut to a medium shot of John doing nothing but slowly smiling into the into the void and then cutting to a completely different scene. So there, it feels like, it, it looked like, oh, he must have ran out of footage or some audio was compromised or he's patching something up. But it's like, nah, this is the third of a trilogy. He's w- very well established. He's got a strong budget. This was a choice he was making that made it feel more kind of down home and gritty. But I don't and know And the best how. thing about that, too, is that you can now fuck up whenever you want. You can make accidents mm-hmm. for the rest of your career and just be like, oh, no, that was that, was that down home thing that I have been trying to do. Like, I totally set up this mess up and it's <laughs> totally fine. But that, uh, I, I, like, Kate, wonderful, good points, but uh, the bub hallway scene, I huh. do think does have to take it down. Mm-hmm. Um, most, so I've got two awards left. Is that right? Like, I have most yep. 80s moment and most 8-E's moment, like where somebody got eaten to death. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start with most 80s moment. What was the one where, like, all right, you're never going to let me forget that this is 1985. Kate, we're going to start with you. Um, <laughs> uh, the moment that uh, John opens his mouth and you hear his accent. Um, <laughs> I think that that is, going back to what Tompkins said, I think that that was a moment when you really kind of had a lock-in to the experience you were about to have. Um, uh, and to be fair, that was really the first bold choice outside of the montage of, like, uh, you know, the arms and everything. She wakes up from this fugue state. Um, and it, it's, it's really the first distinct, like... Um, stylistic decision that is made of the film and it is having this black man deliver horrifically butchered semi-caribbean accent um and it reminds you that you're going to be um racially uncomfortable for the next two hours it's uh, it's, and that's bad enough that we none of the three of us are comfortable saying for sure that it's supposed to be jamaican (laughs) well i mean at one point he rolls down the window he could be nailing an accent we've never heard of and it's not automatic. He has to do the whole roll down thing. And he screams to zombies, <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, zombies, Jamaican me crazy. So I feel like that is the evidence that we need, yeah. right? <laughs> Tompkins, what is 85 about this? The very first opening scene is so 80s mm-hmm. and so 80s horror. She is stuck in an all-white room. Um, she goes and looks at a calendar that was clearly made as a prop for this movie before it was <laughs> easy to do that thing. It does not have numbers on the squares. It was done up in a hurry. Uh, <laughs> she's staring at this calendar and touching it when all of a sudden shoots through the arm 
80 different black arms are reaching and groping around. She does like a silent movie turn away from the camera and horror and then yeah. it turns out that it was just a dream. That shit is so 80s right. and it's got the yeah. synth under it. Holy shit. Based on that alone, I was like we this is going to be an 80s fest. This is going to have every yeah. 80s thing because it was unmistakable. It was like Garth Marenghi's dark place. <laughs> I'd also I'd also uh, like to offer another very 80s thing is um, it taking place underground in Florida. Um, <laughs> I think Did we talk about how it's underground it. where some of the walls are walls and some of them they just left as dirt because they're yeah. underground? <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Unfinished basement. And then, yeah, Tompkins, like, uh, when all the arms came out and one was, like, Michael Jackson's glove and one was, like, Madonna's yeah. glove and one was Ron- clearly Ronald Reagan's hand. Yeah. One was Alf's hand. Uh, <laughs> that was 80s as fuck. And, yeah, w- what we didn't talk about at all tonight was the fucking music because yeah. the acting almost tanked this movie. And if we needed something else, it was the music Tom for Gaines. sure. And then finally we come to best 80s guys who got eaten the best talking <laughs> uh mine is when the um john i think it's the john belushi like guard gets eaten he flings himself up onto a pallet and then the zombies surround him and they are tearing away from him and one of the zombies hooks its two fingers into his eyeballs and you know, when I first saw this, I was thinking like, oh, they must have like curled, you know, their fingers around so that it just looks like they're there. And then you see the zombies start to pull his skull away from his body and it keeps going. And you're like, oh, this is how they do it. And then it just fucking fully detaches. And the zombie is holding what fully looks like a human head with viscera dripping out of it mm-hmm. while the other zombies start tearing away at his body. That's the that's what I was alluding to earlier. It it I have no fucking clue how they did that. It looks like they straight up murdered someone. It's wild. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard one to beat too, because that's the scene where one of the zombies, the one who like went through the eye, leans in yeah. and they're just like, It's the day of the dead. Like it had the tension <laughs> of the line right yeah. there. <laughs> Yeah, I... Um, well, he asks, that, what day is it as he's being eaten? And <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to tell you, but my calendar doesn't have numbers. Um, <laughs> no, I, I wish you had asked me first, Ryan, because um, the unfortunate reality is that I, I absolutely agree, uh, Tompkins. I think that that... Uh, what what stood out to me was specifically the the hooking of the eyes and the pulling, the 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 reaction my body had to looking at that image and to, more than any of the other bodily harm that they did that felt it felt like in the uh i think it was the 2005 king kong um uh where king kong you know rips open the jaw of the oh t-rex my God. yeah <laughs> you hear that snap yeah yeah like, and you like, hear that snap like the dinosaur is workout equipment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the thing just falls on the ground like to me that was it was a it was a similar kind of horror of like my body recognizes how bad that is before yeah. my brain does you know um but, but but then if it weren't that i mean this sounds circular but um my 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 backup option um, was absolutely Rhodes' death for the exact reason that Tompkins gave for it um, being being a, a director's signature. It is, it is so beautifully choreographed, and um, and anytime anytime you give a masterful 
horror director a hallway and some blood. You're going to have a lot of fun choreography. Um, and I really, like, I loved the way that um, uh, Joseph, whatever her name is, his name is Joe P., um, the actor who played Rhodes, I, I loved how he fell against the wall as he waited for um, uh, Bub to, to turn the corner. Um, I thought that it was a really, really good couple of moments of, like, actual cinematic tension that um, you didn't see in other movies. So it was a scarier death, um, but and- less viscerally horrid, horrifying. I didn't know this because this is the first time I've ever seen this movie, but, like, that is iconic. Like, all of those Joe death scenes are very, like, all those frames are very famous. I, oh, I wouldn't cool. say, like, uh, you know, Anthony Perkins ripping open, the, rip, ripping open the shower curtain famous, but, like, yeah, people know what movie that is when you're talking, yeah. like, when you see those frames. Uh, Tompkins, Tompkins, you said the I think first, but... Kate, you, you said you agreed but did not ask for a point, and I do Kate. love that. So you guys are both going to take it down. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a break. That is all the point scoring that we have. So when we come back, I'm going to announce the winner, and we're going to talk about what happens next week. Remember me, though I have to say goodbye. Remember me, don't let it make you cry. For even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. Remember me. Though I have to travel far, remember me. Each time you hear a sad guitar, know that I'm with you. That, my friends, is Day of the Dead. I'm going to say, uh, strong start for the 1985 horror season. Uh, you know, like, it had all the things that I sort of wanted and hated from horror movies at the same time. But uh, a couple days later, I was like, I kind of fucking like that movie. I don't know. I, I think I liked it. Yeah, I, I, it, gave us, it gave us lots of good. It gave us lots of bad. And, and very importantly, it had enjoyable bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, which I think for 80s horror is going to be an absolute linchpin. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I went into it thinking like I, I knew of the movie's reputation, but I, I think that it's, uh, I think it's got something. It's got a but little it, zip to it. I would say that it also had unenjoyable bad. Oh, and, yes. Which is also uh, very important. Mm-hmm. I, Watching it also a an essential ago. part. <laughs> yes. Uh, all of that stuff went away, like, the longer I got, the further I got from the movie. But, Kate, you rolled right into the show. You watched Day mm-hmm. of the Dead and then into the show. Did that no. hinder you at all? Yeah, I think so, probably. Um, just because, in general, I tend to have a more um, affectionate look at a, at a film once some time has passed. And, you know, my attention isn't. Um, being required in the, that exact moment. So I think I probably, if I ha- sat with it a couple more days, I think that I, it would probably feel more fun to me now. Um, it is fun. I did have a good time watching it. But I'm also the the style of horror fan, which where I will, I don't think I'll ever watch this one again, but I had a lot of fun watching it. But also I could probably see watching seven to eight different ones that I like more. Um, right. So it's like, yeah, it's enjoyable. Um I didn't feel like uh, it's my favorite Romero, and I definitely don't feel like it's my favorite horror movie. But um, I had a lot of fun um, kind of just stepping back into 1985 for a second. 
Ryan, did, did Kate's audio blip out for just the briefest little period for you during that? Maybe it just did, like, yeah. Okay, I just for the listeners, um, we have an an auto mod kind of thing on here. It, I think what happened is Kate was uh, listing all the racial slurs that they used in the movie, and it mm-hmm. it squelched her. Um, but we caught oh, the rest shit. of it, so I have no choice <laughs> but to give Tompkins <laughs> a point for not being racist right there. <laughs> so thank you, Tompkins. That's for that you know what's really obnoxious is when I said that I wasn't being racist. You still gave him the point because you said that that was obnoxious virtue signaling. <laughs> But no, so I feel like I didn't ask for a point. He was just out there being a good Samaritan. (laughs) I'd also I'd also like to point out that um, a lot of points uh, and by a lot, I mean, two different points were given to me because I didn't contest. Um, And I think Mm. that we should notice the gender politics in all of this. Before we make any hard and fast decisions (laughs) about who came out of this on top. That's all I have to say. All right, let's get to the score. Uh, Kate, you scored 40 <laughs> points, which I do think is a record for a guest. 40 Hell points yeah. is a shit ton of points. <laughs> uh, Topkins, you scored 30. Wait, hold on. Are you serious? What? What? Okay. Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> uh, I have. The board came down. Uh, Tompkins, I had you at 38, two uh-huh. less points than Kate, but. Uh, because of your fucking cheating on the internet, you have zero points. Kate wins <laughs> 40 to zero. Jesus fucking Christ. And Kate, people have scored more than 40 before, but nobody's ever beaten somebody by 40. By that 40 is fucking points. insane. Tompkins, Tompkins, I am loving how I'm feeling right now, and I never wanted to go away. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure it won't as soon as this ends. <laughs> um, I'd like to say good match, but uh, I wiped the floor with you. So, okay, <laughs> Tompkins, <laughs> is there anything you want to say? I it it you know I really tried <laughs> this time in every different way. I didn't lose a single point for the stuff I normally lose points for. And it just is. And we talked so much about (laughs) bullying in this. And I know it when I see it. I know. Did I tell you, in the Rushmore segment, you were like, I've got one basic one that everybody knows. And I think that was, I can't remember, Billy Zopka or something. And then I've got one, or no, it was Sid from Toy Story. And then you're like, I've got like a different sort of secret one. I thought you were going to be like, Ryan, host of this podcast, is a fucking bully, <laughs> and he pushes me around and he uses his little drop pad to get me a point. It really, it, it is absolutely, like, uh, at the very least, I have a parasitic relationship <laughs> to this podcast because mm-hmm. clearly the dynamic is it's someone's job to come in every week and get a big endorphin rush from beating me, and I'm just the fucking... The, the Washington okay. Generals. If I ever the, win, it will be because everything fucked up so badly but that they had no choice. Kate. I think, Tompkins, if you don't want to be a heel, mm-hmm. you got to stop acting like a little bit of a heel. And I think you also, uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to stop looking things up online. That being said, I would like to acknowledge graciously, wait, graciously, because I did win um, by over 40 points. In fact, by now, I think I think that we're raking in on, on oh, no, 45. It's like 45 at this point. Yeah, yeah, we're at 45 points. Um, I would like to be gracious and concede that I think in many different at many different points, you spoke with uh, greater 
passion, clarity, and expertise than I, and it was a, a, a true pleasure. Uh, Kate, now you're at 44. <sighs> it's okay. I can, you, hey, hey, honey, I can take the loss. Uh, and Kate, <laughs> I do appreciate you pointing out that uh, everything that Tompkins just said, analyzing me and his relationship was totally correct. Uh-huh. Uh, like, yeah, no, he nailed it. Uh, I'm a piece of shit, I'm, but I have the drop pad. But I also appreciate how you came in there and, and said, like, you know, because every week Tompkins and I have this conversation of, like, it sucks, man. I come in there super smart. I, I'm a total fucking bastard and a piece of shit asshole, and I never win. What's going on? Can I just say, I, Kate, my yeah. revenge wish for you is that. Do you say revenge? Revenge wish for you revenge. is that your life continue on its current course. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I hope uh-huh. that nothing changes for you. I hope I w- and expect. <laughs> these actually, these points are from the three-point line. Wait, so actually, no, no, no this, is, a lot more. this is what I'd like to say. Hey, Tompkins, look at yourself in your little thumbnail right now, and you tell me that you want to stay looking like that and being like that for the rest of your life. <laughs> All right, so we can continue this, but if we could do it in commercial form, that would be great. Uh, mm-hmm. Tompkins, tell us about websites. Uh, a website that Kate can't get to because she is too stupid is yourpopfilter.com. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's got the podcast. It's got some other fun stuff. Um, another website is twitter.com. Uh, another one Kate cannot seem to. This one, she she could get to it intelligence-wise, but her fingers are too big, so she can never <laughs> press just one key. Um, a lot of times she winds up going to twitter.com. Uh, we're Hold there on. at your... I, I, I gotta stop you there. Like, she... Her agent said that we could say whatever we want about her except for uh, her fat fingers. Like, that was the <laughs> one thing off limits, and you went there. I didn't say... I said big, which is... You know. Which is empirically not true. They're fat. They're <laughs> fat fingers. They're big boned. <laughs> Kate's got big right, boned Kate, fingers. Kate, we yeah. have another show called uh, The Superhero Show Show, which is no, about uh, uh, TV shows that are based on comic books. So if you mm-hmm. could tell people about that, but really talk about how Tompkins' <laughs> entire body looks like one of your fat fingers. Yeah, so TV. So, okay, so wait, give me the, the name of the show again Superhero Show Show. Superhero Show She's Show. She's going to forget again we... in about two seconds. Superhero show show in, in which we uh, in which we get to witness what it looks like to uh, to actually save someone's life um, instead of doing the kind of the shit job that we can expect of former service members such as Tompkins Tompkins. Um, when are you talking about heroes? Now, uh, when we're talking about heroes, we're not talking about some oily man with a beard in Houston. <laughs> We're talking lycra. We're talking six packs. We're talking the kind of person you uh, want to be, you not the kind Jason of man Momoa you fear you are. <laughs> yeah, honey, I have. Have you? Yeah, oily I don't think beard. You yes, please. I feel like your your droopy eyelids probably obscure your vision <laughs> pretty See, this is, severely. <laughs> this is unfair on two levels. One because of because I can attack you physically and it's okay. Whereas you would crumble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. You did have that finger shit. Do you want to yeah. say more about her? I cannot. He can't. He can't because he knows it's not true. And so do I. And that's what's uncomfortable is that at the end, he actually can't disprove that I'm cute. All right, Tompkins, how do you email us if you want to email us? What is our email address and why would you? Um, our email <laughs> is... Um, what is uh, 
mail at yourpopfilter.com. Contact at yourpopfilter.com. Contact at yourpopfilter.com. Uh, I think you would want to do it if you if you want to tell us uh, how the show went, what you think about the movie, uh, what you think about the fact that Kate will never have physical contact with another male as long as she lives. <laughs> uh, you can you can write us that. You can tell us your thoughts on, on those things, and we always read them. We love to hear from our fans. And Kate, finally, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you could... I think we're done. I, even if we're not done, <laughs> we should just be done. You're gonna let, we're going to let that one sit? Okay, well, let's, let, let's sit on that one. <laughs> uh, Kate, uh, Tompkins has a Twitter. Do you, want us to, do you want to tell us about that? Oh, yes. I would love for you guys to go and check out Tompkins' Twitter in which his, <laughs> his transparent need for attention and approval uh, finds its true home. Uh, you think it's bad here. You think it's bad here. Uh, but actually, if you want to look inside the, the mind of a truly twisted fuck, go ahead to uh, check out at, is it official Patty's fan? Or is uh, that no, Instagram? this is, that is, that is, um, Instagram. Yeah. Which I don't want people to follow me on. That's just picture of okay. my dogs. Uh, yeah. It is at Tomp official. It is true. Um, I want and often receive inordinate <laughs> amounts of attention from my Twitter. Uh, if you want to see a Twitter that uh, really never manages to do much of anything, <laughs> check out Kate's. Um, the need is there. It's just uh, no focus. <laughs> Kate, what's no that No focus. <laughs> That's the fucking classic burn that we're going to go with tonight. Hey, hey, Kate, guess what? Your Twitter account lacks focus. <laughs> was your big end it i think it's more it could have something resembling focus if the need were less overwhelming <laughs> oh man Tompkins, you should pick different things to shit on people like that well, like, you, you can't say that to people well you know this is the thing and this is this is what's why why it's okay uh Tompkins, when you look at me you see yourself and you hate it and that's why <laughs> we are constantly in this delightful and delicious tete-a-tete that is truly malicious at uh, Yeah, I have to respect the kamikaze burn. Um, <laughs> and I think we can leave off and this, this, this new Mutual found. disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> Next episode, we're doing Fright Night. It'll be me and Tompkins. And somebody probably... He, Tompkins is in charge of picking the guest, so it's probably going to be somebody a little more lightweight than Kate who That's fucking decimated him My tonight. six-year-old niece. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. What how do we end this? What is that what is our final word? Fuck you, Kate. But bye-bye. You wish. <laughs>